no longer on this earth. <laughs> mm. I don't even know if she ever was. I feel like, well, maybe she is. She just bees. That's how I see it. She, she exists. <laughs> therefore, she. This I live in that world. You live in her world, huh? I live in her world. Yeah. Yeah, I think I remember seeing that last time, and I was like, huh? Because it kind of looks like just eyelashes and lips over there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty sick. I like it. it makes me feel <laughs> Did you um? Do you kind of like set everything up in your room strategically? Like strategically. you only show what you want to show. Lock box. Um, I think this is just a happy accident, to be honest. I hmm. I did that anyway, just because I like it to look a certain way. Like I like to have a certain aesthetic, but um uh that was the best place for that bookshelf and then i was like well <laughs> finally i'll get to put this somewhere and i didn't want to hang it up i don't know some yeah. certain things i just don't want to hang up um or i was thinking maybe i will so i tried that out and i like it there yeah i there think it looks these. cool Thanks. yeah but i bet a lot of people do stuff like that where they'll they'll actually put a lot of thought into some sort of weird facade but if you were to just move the camera slightly right Mm-hmm. You'll see that there's like thing shit to the sides. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No shame in that game. Nah, man. not me. I mean, you see where I normally record. I normally mm-hmm. record in the the office, and it's just like a bunch of shit all over the place. But everywhere, yeah, I'm actually recording from my second studio today in the in the bedroom. So apologize if my audio is subpar. Mm. But you know, we make do. I accept. I was uh, I was actually talking to Ryan, <laughs> and he was telling me about how uh, Abby. She she doesn't like anything fantasy related or like animate or anything like that. You know, Ryan's always trying to get her to go see some stuff, and she's just like, "Nah, not really feeling it." He was telling me about how he was using this as as an example of like the kind of movie she's into. So she was like, "You know what? She she only knows Shrek in Spanish." And I was like, what? <laughs> "That's like so random." Like he was like really upset by that. He was just like, "Can you believe she only knows Shrek in Spanish? She didn't know uh, Shrek in English until I showed her." And then uh, she was just like, "I don't get it. Like these jokes don't make sense." Uh, <laughs> but I guess a-, a lot of the stuff doesn't translate though. And I was telling him. So Brenda was also the same way. She, I think, she mainly saw Shrek in Spanish, and then um, she told me that. You know the part when Donkey, he uh, he kind of goes over to Shrek's place and just kind of invites himself and mm-hmm. gets comfortable and Shrek's just fucking annoyed with him. And he's like, and in the morning, I'm making waffles. Mm-hmm. So in the, the translated version from what Brenda tells me, she says, what Donkey says right there is, in the morning, I'm making tamales. Ah. Because I guess like waffles aren't a thing over there. So it's mm-hmm. like, like no one can relate to that. Well, let's just swap this out with tamales and then people know what the fuck the joke is, you know? Mm-hmm, yeah. And uh, Ryan was just cracking up with that. In the morning, I'm making tamales. <laughs> <laughs> That's so much more involved than waffles. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because, you know, he he only mentioned waffles because it's like fucking easy, you know? Like it's so mm-hmm. easy a caveman can do it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which, I mean, you know, it actually takes some skill, but to make some, some decent finesse. waffles. But yeah, tamales, man, that's a freaking all day affair. Seriously. Every time I've seen, uh, I've seen my mother-in-law make tamales yeah it's like you pretty much like wake up you start doing your shit and then food might be ready at a decent hour maybe like nine o'clock at night <laughs> a decent hour yeah we're not <laughs> we're not in our pajamas yet so that's decent yeah. mm-hmm. your ass up. dude i am i'm trying to see if my cord will reach i don't think it'll matter much i'm gonna grab a book real quick okay i, I should have had a soundboard I should have a soundboard and cue that shit up. Um, this book, dude. Ah, uh, this guy's a genius. Rory Sutherland. Alchemer. He is. <laughs> no, seriously, he's great. But um, 
way he looks at advertising is this is just one huge human experiment. Just let's 101. Let's just try this. Oh, we know that this worked. Why don't we try this thing and see how this impacts people? You know, we want to get this message across. We want, you know, what is it that the the brand wants to get how they want to draw customers or, or just spitballing and deciding like, okay, this brand, you, you want us to create an ad campaign for you. Okay. What's associated with this brand? What, what do people think of when they think of this brand? How do we want to play this? You know, and they'll do some crazy, crazy things that you wouldn't even think of. In fact, I think one, one of their weird, one of their crazier ad campaigns was they <laughs> had a bus stop that actually they had a scent. This ad company paid for what? there to be a scent that came that was coming down to them. Like a diffuser. <laughs> yeah, it was like a diffuser. Just like. Pss. Do you think that In and Out pipes their their smell? Because you can smell In and Out onions from like two miles away. Oh, dude, absolutely. You know? Yeah, and I, that's certainly no accident. Where, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, if if they're thinking about it, it's all about maybe the placement of the restaurant too. They're typically not too far off from freeway exits, and that's that's always by design. I mean, it's it's aside from shelter, which you have covered if you're in a car, you've got shelter, uh, and you can sleep in that car, so you've got that covered too. So shelter and sleep. What's the only other things you really need? You need to use the bathroom, in and, out. and you need to eat and drink. You know, you need in and out. That's it. Exactly. You need. It's the old in and out, in and out. (laughs) (laughs) The old in, out, in, out. (laughs) In, out, Um, and then get in and out afterwards. And then get in and out afterwards because you burned a lot of calories doing that. The old in, out, in, out. I I didn't see that coming, but that was a nice way of bringing it back in. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was brilliant. (laughs) Brilliant. The old. See, it's like sometimes you just, you kind of dive off the deep end and uh, it looks like you're, you're about to like run into jagged rocks at the bottom but somehow mm-hmm. there's like a breeze that kind of carries you a little bit further yeah, out and then you updraft. actually make the water yeah yeah the, up, the updraft helps you to it really it saves your ass well should we should we get into it let's do it fucking do this shit. actually you know before i do that oh man you know i, I gotta get in the the mindset of things yeah so let's Put on some eyelashes dude oh okay you're gonna do that instead yeah all right let's, I'll do let's the make eyelashes. this room orange you know yeah. what i'm saying What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Affliction Oz Podcast, Episode 6. My name is Eric, and the other voice occupying your head this time is my good friend, Michael. Oh my god, it's me. <gasps> That's me. Hi. Thanks for joining us. This is a monthly podcast where we mainly talk about films that range from mind-numbing to mind-blowing, or anything really we find entertaining. Occasionally, we may also cover TV shows or other forms of media. It goes without saying we will be getting into spoilers here and there will be only the healthiest amount of expletives tossed in. You have been warned. So fucking healthy. Now, if you ain't ready, then get ready because in today's episode we will be covering none other than a clockwork orange. Grab yourself a tall glass of milk plus and let's get into it. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you know, I I really like even just the intro to uh, Clockwork Orange. Like as soon as you start the movie, it's just like solid orange. Like that's all you see, you know, and then you hear the music kick in and then mm-hmm. it's like, boom, here we go. Title card, Clockwork Orange. I just really like that sim- simplistic presentation. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it kind of puts the focus on the music and it, it kind of gets you warmed up for the movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If people don't know what a Clockwork Orange is... 
I'll tell you the plot, but honestly, like, why are you listening to this episode if you've if you've never seen Clockwork Orange? But the Clockwork Orange film is a movie that is actually based off of a 1962 novel of the same name. This movie came out in 1971 and is directed by Stanley Kubrick. And it is a near-future dystopian crime film following Alex, a charismatic delinquent, and the horrific crime spree of his gang, his imprisonment, and attempted rehabilitation via an experimental psychological conditioning that doesn't go as planned. <laughs> Man. Shortly after the 1962 publication, uh, the, the novel was actually written by Anthony Burgess. So Burgess sold the film rights of his novel for $500, which I actually thought was interesting because at that time, he probably had no idea how popular this movie is going to be. Mm-hmm. Like really, 500 bucks, that's it? Yeah, and I feel yeah. like, how often does that happen, do you think, where people just kind of kick themselves like, God damn it, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, right. Dude, that I mean, must fucking suck. You don't know what you don't know, and if you're hard up for cash, sometimes you got to, uh, you know, just take whatever comes your way. Have you? Uh, there's another movie where that same shit happens, and it's quite hilarious. Uh, Inside Lewin Davis with Oscar Isaacs. Oh yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Anyway, same thing happens where he sings on he sings on a track, and they say, "Hey, we can give you royalties, or we can just pay you this lump sum up front." And he's like, yeah, I'll just take the lump Mm -hmm. sum or whatever. It's like a grand or something like that. And then as the movie progresses, it becomes popular. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Please, Mr. (laughs) Kennedy. Uh Uh-oh. I don't want to (laughs) go. Was that the same movie? Into outer space. That's it. That's totally the one. Five, (laughs) (laughs) ten, nine, eight, seven, six. Yeah. That's so. One second, please. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you should do just like throughout this podcast. So Anthony Burgess, uh, he became the uh, poster boy for that. Do you actually have the the Anthony Burgess novel? No, I don't. I don't. I'm a little surprised by that. I thought you would have had it. You know, I do love the classics, but I am such a like a kind of snob. I want to say the reason why a Clockwork Orange kind of got bumped up far up on our list was because you approached me actually, and you're like, "Hey, (laughs) I'm in a mood." for a Kubrick film. Let's fucking do this. <laughs> so yeah, you were actually the one that, that kind of was like planting the seeds for this. Yeah, I was, uh, I was definitely intrigued. Um, I know what, that what got you in the mood to, to watch a Kubrick film. It's so weird. Sometimes you, you kind of get into this thing where, how do you, how do I put it? So in, in, in philosophy, there's this, there's this term called the zeitgeist. And it's a German word that means essentially the spirit of the world. So oh, giving that little, okay. giving that I didn't know definition that. of that concept, you know, it's so odd because I, for whatever, just was getting vibes through the world. <laughs> Sounds strange, but I was, I was hearing things about Stanley Kubrick from other people. I don't know. It was just, it, it came up in conversation and I thought, you know, I'm so fucking interested in knowing more about him. And, um, you know, obviously his movies tend to be uh, more controversial. Um, and this one is probably one of the most controversial. Uh, mm. It's definitely a uh, you either love it or hate it. I've realized right. I feel like there you seldom see people that are like, eh, it was all right. I feel like you're either like <laughs> that movie was fucking great or you're like that movie is so dumb. It was so overhyped. I hate it. You know, 
Yeah, I I could totally. Yeah, exactly. It's it's divisive, right? You you have to feel some kind of way about it. It certainly doesn't make you feel, you know, um, what is it? Uh, apathetic. You're certainly not just like, Meh, yeah, whatever. Um, you got a kind of a visceral reaction to it. You either you either do hate it or it's it's awesome, stimulating. And it and maybe, maybe he just you know he he kind of rubs people the wrong way sometimes. The man was himself a genius. I'm all Rory he, Sutherland. He wants yeah. what he wants. He he does, and he was very particular. I watched a documentary afterwards. I was so I mean I hadn't had I, I watched a Clockwork Orange first. Mm-hmm. Then I watched it. And, and then I, and then they just go and spoil all the parts for you. And you're like, oh, I just felt like I watched the whole movie now. Son awesome. of a... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I wanted to get some sort of... Uh, wanted to get a feel for his work. It's kind of like sure. reading the source material as opposed to reading someone's thoughts on that source material. You just want to get straight to the primary source. Like, let me see mm. the thing and decide for myself how I feel about it. As opposed to letting other people's opinions of it sway me one way or the other. I really wanted to go in with a blank slate based on just my whatever I know right now. I didn't have to, I didn't want to go in there and be like, oh, I needed to read up on some stuff, some supplemental material beforehand. I, I just wanted to see like, how does this hit me the first time, the first viewing? What am I watching? Sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so how long did, uh, how long ago did you actually watch the film before film? We uh, start recording this. Oh, uh, five minutes ago. I just finished. No, uh, I watched it two weeks ago. Yeah, I watched it too. It's actually yeah. on in the background, right? It's now. actually still running. I just don't even hold on. The end is coming up. I'm, I'm thinking, hold, hold on. <laughs> you can get my real reaction in you real get time. My in the moment reaction. That's right. It'll be like one of those YouTube videos. What are those called? Reaction Live videos. <laughs> I think they're yeah, called yeah. reaction videos. <laughs> Nothing fancy. We just go directly for it. We just go for the jugular reaction. What's my reaction? Yeah, that was. Uh, this was. This was your what? Second time seeing it. Yeah, actually, I had seen it for the very first time, probably, I want to say maybe like two, three years ago. And then um, I actually, I was surprised it took me so long to see it again, because there's so much more I'm able to pick up now seeing it the second time. Whereas Mm. before, I I feel like a lot of stuff I I either just didn't notice or um, maybe I I just didn't recognize, you know, I I would see it, but I'm like, "Eh," you know that that probably doesn't mean anything but there's there's a lot of stuff in here like references and and whatnot you know there's stuff that was purposely put in here in a specific way because that's what stanley kubrick wanted (laughs) yeah there are no there are no accidents yeah and it's funny because how you were you wanted to do a, a kubrick film because you just wanted almost like an excuse you know something to motivate you to to look into kubrick's history mm-hmm. so i actually thought the history with this film was was pretty interesting because there's a lot of um interesting facts i guess you could say when uh, it came to filming this movie so i didn't realize that uh, to go along with the fact that Burgess, you know, sold the film rights for a, a measly five hundred dollars, like, mm-hmm. like I was like, "Fuck me!" Right? <laughs> um, or, originally, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> see, like that, we we're gonna be doing that shit throughout the, this podcast. <laughs> tuning in next time part two of clockwork orange and then he just fades out to us singing that fucking song <laughs> um, please mr kennedy <laughs> oh, oh. 
<laughs> so originally, the film was supposedly going to star the Rolling Stones. I don't know why they they chose them specifically. Maybe they're just red hot at that time, and they're like, you know what? We should do a movie with these guys in it. And of course, Mick Jagger was potentially going to be playing Alex, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess after those plans fell through, there there are some issues with the the British Board of Film Classification, and the film rights ultimately fell to Stanley Kubrick. So Stanley based the script off of the shortened U.S. version of the book, and it omitted the final chapter. Did you know that there were two versions? Of I did not Orange? know that. No, I did not know that. It's cool. Yeah. So the one that originally ran, um, Anthony, you know, he, he had the full novel. And then I guess when it got released in the U.S., for whatever reason, the the final chapter was left off. And that's the version that Kubrick actually read, enjoyed, and was inspired to make the movie from, was the U.S. version. Hmm, I'd be curious to see what that last chapter is like. Oh, we'll get into that. We'll definitely get into that for sure. So, uh, toasty. Um, (laughs) Burgess had mixed feelings about the film too. So after Stanley adapted the, the story to film Burgess, he, he saw it and he said that he, he thought certain parts of it were okay, but I guess the, the thing that he he had a main issue with was the fact that the absence of the redemptive final chapter, because mm. the end of the film, you know, like it's, it, it's not really redemptive, you know, mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. it, if nothing else, it, it kind of leaves you like, yeah, you know, fuck that guy. <laughs> I mean, maybe I don't know. do you want to get into it right now? Or do you want to continue? With well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely work up to that for sure. Like, I mean, there's, there's no way that we we're going to skip over the end of the film. Yeah, I don't want to dive in. I didn't want to dive into it in, unless you're ready. You know, we gotta, we can't just force our way and we got to ease in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't just, we don't have time for the old in out, you know? Yeah. We got to take it slow. In out, in out. So Kubrick hadn't read the complete novel um, when he actually was filming the movie. I guess, I don't know if he either didn't know that there was a, a longer version but um, I guess he, after he filmed the movie, he eventually went back, read the, the British version, the, which is the full version. And he ultimately felt that the final chapter was unnecessary, stating yeah. that it was unconvincing and inconsistent with the rest of the uh, novel. So he, mm. he purposely, so he read it and he didn't feel any need to like go back and edit the script or anything. He's like, nah, <laughs> we're fine. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We can get more into yeah. it. I'll explain why I, I like that. And a couple other things too with the the film. This movie had a budget of just 1.3 mil, and it pulled in 114 million in the box office. So, and this is also the shortest filming that uh, out of like any of Kubrick's films. So, filming took place between September 1970 and April 1971, and that's just a span of seven months, making *A Clockwork Orange* the quickest film shot um in his career mm, so i thought that was pretty interesting yeah he just breezed right through it yeah um wait wait wait. so just it, we're talking like production not pre or post this is just six months of production actual filming actual filming yeah okay that's funny yeah because i mean mm-hmm. so many other movies can be done in so much shorter time but <laughs> but not the same quality period hands down this guy's especially with uh, kubrick because how we're talking about at work how he's known for being a perfectionist and Mm -hmm. doing a lot of some might say unnecessary retakes 
even if everyone felt that the actor did the part perfectly he's like you know what let's just let's do it again let's do it again he'd be like do they'd be like i think it was good he's like do you want good or do you want you just want good enough or do you want great do you want Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. actual scene are you willing to work for it you know as as great as stanley kubrick is i do want to to give props to the author anthony burgess though because he was the the one that in that created basically a language in his his uh, novel. So uh, Alex narrates most of the film in Natsat, which is a fictional Argo or slang that was created just for Clockwork Orange. <laughs> and that's basically, well, uh, Burgess was, he was a little bit of a linguist. And oh, uh, he, okay. so he had a lot of interest in just different kinds of languages and he had appreciation for languages. And um, so with that background, he wanted to depict his character speaking sort of, um, some sort of like slang, but he didn't want it to be outdated because he knew that give it what 10 years and people are going to be looking back and just like think that shit is comical, you know, like who the fuck says that anymore. Mm -hmm. So it would have, it would definitely would have been kind of a, a product of its time, but he wanted to create his own slang because then that would be timeless you know, like hmm. since that never really existed, you can't really say like, oh, no one speaks like that anymore because no one really ever did. So unless people actually like really study Natsat and try to incorporate that now, you know, based mm-hmm. off of the book. But that I thought that was really fucking interesting because I didn't really know. Like I thought these are just terms that maybe they just used over there. But it's yeah. basically a form of like Russian influenced English like British English over there. Interesting. And it's it's even got a mix of uh, Cockney rhyming slang, I guess. So and mm-hmm. and along with uh, some some words that Burgess invented himself, apparently. So it's just kind of a just this this uh, hodgepodge of just a bunch of different influences. And he, yeah. he created his own language out of That's it. That's cool. So I thought that was pretty cool. That's cool. It's funny because it's like it is timeless and at the same time dated because it's of a very specific time in the seventies when this <laughs> language was created. So there's that. So it's like very much like there's like, it's been pinned to that era. And yet, mm-hmm. like you said, because it is outside of anybody's typical vernacular, no one really used it. It was never really commonplace. Mm-hmm. Um, therefore it is, it is somehow timeless too. You're like, wow, it's so cool. No, one, you know, you can say these certain words and it's like, it, it again, yeah. it, it escapes time. That's what author, you know, like, puts in that kind of work just to create a story like he really wanted to just flesh out this world and he created his own slang right and he wanted to do that not only uh for alex and and his gang to to kind of be timeless when they uh when they spoke but he also wanted to in a way i feel like reinforce alex's indifference to the norms of society because you know he was always someone that was just doing weird shit you you even just like take a look at his getup right like what the fuck was he wearing him and Mm -hmm. his crew in the in the movie they're just wearing like this like weird like onesie like pj thing and then he's got like a jock strap over that with his little like bowler cap you know and he's just rocking it He's got it's his like, like jo- fucking Doc Martens on and shit. Yeah, it's like a jock strap, but it's also like it protects your junk. Because um, <laughs> especially you got to imagine. I mean, it's it's there's so much purpose behind that. Even uh, there was uh, somebody who did a breakdown uh, of that of their outfits, and I thought that was interesting. It was like they have they're wearing white, but their assholes 
white represents purity so it's sort of like this paradox mm. there's purity and yet they're assholes they do terrible shit i don't know if you noticed too like, they had uh-huh. um i also noticed Gentlemen. they had like ra- random like blood stains but when when they do uh, close-ups of them it's like fake blood stains and they got like mm-hmm. eyeballs and shit and it's just yeah. like random stuff that they just kind of like pin to their outfits yeah i don't know what the rep- i don't know what the eyeballs represent either um it's interesting i mean i could only speculate but there's there's all of that um what'd you, what'd you think of alex's guy liner on just his right eye that was interesting too um i thought what uh, what do i mean by interesting it it there's more meaning behind it than what meets the eye uh so hmm. somebody said that uh in a way it represents a monocle which would <laughs> look you know like you're proper like you're sophisticated right sophisticated uh like you're you're classy but just not in this sense he was almost using it in a ironic way precisely yeah ironic and and because it's not a legitimate monocle it's something it's like a it's like a grotesque monocle not really grotesque but you know what i'm (laughs) saying like it's like a rough rough kind of looking monocle it's it's his uh version of like someone wearing a monocle He's like, in mm-hmm. my world, this is what I'd be wearing. I'd be rock. Yeah. Actually, it's not even guyliner. I think at some point in the movie, you actually see him peel off. off the eyelashes. So he has like yeah. eyelashes up top and on the bottom, yeah. the false yeah. eyelashes. Sticks them. Mm-hmm. Sticks mm-hmm. them to the mirror, right? As When he That's gets home. Almost. Yeah. So fucking weird. He just like does weird shit for for no reason. I think a lot of it is, is like I said, you know, he just wanted to uh, be indifferent to society's norms. He just wanted to do stuff that like no one does like – he, him walking around in like PJs with like a fucking jock strap or whatever over the top of that, you know, he's just like doing shit that like no one does, no one would want to do because it, pretty much most cases it it would look stupid. But you know, he was just like, I I like the fact that it's it's weird, you know, and people don't like it. They feel uncomfortable seeing me wear it. Yeah, yeah, it makes a uh, right. It makes them feel a certain way. Like I don't know how to place you. You got a top hat and you got this cane and. uh a gentleman's guys, cane yeah yeah but you guys are like you know they're walking with some some purpose like they're trying to do harm <laughs> just their whole getup is wild man even just that opening shot where it's just like obnoxiously zoomed in on mm-hmm. on malcolm mcdowell's face you know and he's just kind of doing that like weird like kind of blank stare at the camera you know but he he kind of has like, like one grin. eyebrow cocked up you know yeah like mm-hmm. a slight grin mm-hmm. and Props to Malcolm in that scene too, because it has like a really long zoom out, mm-hmm. very, very slow, right? Very patient z- a zooming effect. And Malcolm, I don't think blinks the whole time. He's just staring into the lens and yeah. I don't know how the fuck he does it, but <laughs> for like those like three minutes straight, he doesn't blink at all. Yeah. Yeah. No, he does. He does a phenomenal job. I mean, that just sets the tone. Fantastic. And we were job. talking about too, with uh, how Kubrick, he, he's kind of known for, staying on shots for longer than you normally see right so he he likes to as you i I like how you described it he likes to just let the the scene play out you know Mm -hmm. and just like let let you let you soak it in right right he's in no rush to to move on to the next thing it's like really really wants you to be kind of immersed in in that world and you you know what i appreciate about that that shot too (laughs) and this is literally like the the opening shot of the movie 
Um, I love the fact that because it's slowly zooming out, it's, it, it starts off so zoomed in on his face, his face takes up the whole frame and then it slowly zooms out. And so you start getting a sense of like what he's wearing. You see, he, he's wearing the, the little bowler cap and he's, he's wearing like the onesies, right? And then it zooms out even further. And then you see that he's not the only one dressed this way. He, he has a bunch of friends next to him and they're just kind of like, uh, you know, like chuckling or hanging out, or whatever on the sides of them. And they're, they all have the same getup. And they're all just like hanging out in that back sofa in the back of this this dark room, and then is it keeps zooming out further, and you start seeing these weird like mannequin things, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like creepy mannequins in this black room, and that's that's the whole like disturbing milk bar lounge setting that they like to hang out. The Corova Bar, I think, is what they call it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I love how it's just gradually revealing more and more of the scene as it zooms out. And now I thought that was fucking genius. It just it, it's funny because you're like, who's this guy? And then and who are those guys? And wait, are his feet propped on what is his feet? His legs are up. Oh, they're on a table. Is that a woman? Oh, yeah, that's not a table. Oh, those that's a woman. Oh, that's that's two two mannequin statues like laying backwards. <laughs> What? What is this place? And then just, oh, there are other statues and there are other people in there. It's not just them. What is this place? You have just, and question on question, what is it he's talking about? This milk plus? What is the words on the back of the... Uh, yeah, it's almost like graffiti, but it was uh, it's like purposely done graffiti inside of this this milk bar lounge thing. Well, it's actually also the words that he says about like, well, it's milk plus... And it sometimes comes with what do you say, like Veliset and the other, he says the other name of what it's either, you know, Milk Plus is either Veliset, if I'm saying it correctly, or any mm. names this other chemical. And mm-hmm. on the back wall, it says Milk Plus, and then it does say Veliset and some, the other, the other mm. words. So it's sort of like a graffiti, but it's also very purposeful. So you can actually see, like, because like, I remember I actually, I did the Apple TV thing. I was like, what did he just say? And he said it. And then as it was, as it repeated the scene, I could see. <laughs> Uh, the words back there. Oh, I was like, oh, that's what, and it had the spelling and everything, obviously. So I was like, and that's oh, that's a strange concept oh. too. That's something that he also fleshed out in this this uh, near future uh, post apocalyptic. Well, I guess not so much post apocalyptic, but dystopian is what dystopian. I meant to say. And um, you got like this thing that serves you literally instead of going out to drink alcohol you're like drinking like fucking drug infused milk and that's what got them fucking amped up to go do ultra violence right just go fuck shit up so weird that's like that's such a strange concept that he in the future supposedly the cool thing to do is going to be drinking tall glass of milk with drugs mixed in and that's something i never thought of for for those who are in the know for those that Mm. niche group of people who are shall we say the initiated because the, you saw only if, I mean, there's only them. You never really see the other guys like they go fuck up that are like raping this one woman uh, mm-hmm. and they, they, they save her, which is interesting in and of itself. It's like they, you see when they attack her, when they, when they go into that situation, they just start fighting these people and you would think, Oh, they were trying to save that girl. That's nice of them. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, they end up terrorizing the husband and wife at the house and they do rape her. (laughs) So it's like, they're just really, I don't know. They're just really, they're not good people. They're, they're super opportunistic. And it's like, well, we're not in the mood to do that right now. We just want to fight some people. So this, they basically call those guys out. The guy pulls out a knife and they're like, yeah, we're going to get into it right now. Fucking Billy boy and and his gang do that. That fight was fucking comical. I don't, I don't know (laughs) if it was purposely done that way, but the way I saw it is just, I wasn't sure if it was designed to be 
cartoonish and campy, but man, that Billy Boy <laughs> gang fight was it was hilarious. Yeah. I, I almost I, like I couldn't take it serious. Yeah, I mean, it's brilliant. <laughs> I mean it, it it's brilliant too, because he doesn't have to bother with the particulars. It's like these guys are just hooligans. They're just hooligans. They don't know how to fucking yeah. fight. And so they're just, again, as opportunists, they're just like, oh, we're just going to swing. What We're just going to find objects and hit people with them. And we're just, we're just going to do whatever it takes to win this fight. But we just want to fuck some people up real quick. And so it gets the idea across that, that they'll do whatever. Almost, it was almost like kind of, there was some sort of dance aspects to it. Not, not unlike like a West side story thing. You know what I mean? Where it's like, you get that there's, there's, there's violence in here. And yet it doesn't I have loved how breath. over the top it was because yeah. you see what someone kind of gets smashed over the back with a, a wooden chair and, and, you know, crumbles or whatever. And then every scene after that is just like them trying to top that. So you got like someone getting slammed through a table and then you got someone like picking up a table and then this guy just fucking like runs and like drop kicks the t- through the table into the guy. And then they like, he, this guy gets thrown off the stage and then this guy's like climbing the rafters and like jumps on like a, a group of gangs and, this someone's getting tossed through fucking windows. Like, I don't even know where these windows came from, but (laughs) and then afterwards they're just like, just chilling, like driving in their car or whatever. And they're just like, yeah, "Yeah," you know, like that, that fight almost got them amped up. Like they weren't even, that that was just the beginning of their night, you know, like after, after drinking milk plus, we're going to go, we're just going to go warm up. Well, actually I think they warm up with uh, that homeless guy. Homeless guy. Yeah. 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 So, you see, you see their silhouettes kind of walking down that the, I guess the entrance of that that ditch or something. The homeless guys kind of like laying down in this this empty ditch, and then that's where you see that how you're talking about that that pose, you know, that strut that Alex does, and I feel like mm-hmm. that just that pose is so iconic because he he has that gentleman's cane and he just drapes it across his shoulders oh, and just kind of right. like lets both of his arms hang over it as he's like mm-hmm. walking, you know, mm-hmm. and swagger. um oh like. He owned it's, the world. It's to show you like dominant and authoritative uh, attitude. You know, he's like, mm-hmm. no, no one's going to fucking tell me how to act. And I'm, I don't give a shit about anyone. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was, that's just like the whole basically mentality of like him and his droogs, which, oh, we haven't even, droogs. we didn't even get into that, that term, right? Droogs, which mm-hmm. is, I guess that's also uh, part of the Nat set. So I'd never heard that uh, before. Right. So I was like, what the heck? Yeah, droogs. So it's it's not a real term, but it's it's loosely based off of the Russian word for like close friend or buddy. And I I feel like it's interesting how Alex and his crew come up with their own term for friend. Like, I wonder if they thought they were they were being cool or edgy by coining like we're like yeah we're gonna make up our own term. You know, it sounds it sounds menacing. You know, and so they they just kind of landed on droogs. That ex- exclusivity. It's just you're really part of it. Yeah. It is, it is cool in that sense. If you don't get it, you don't get it. You don't belong. <laughs> You're not cool enough. Yeah. To, to hang with you can't us. Sit with us. That's right. You can't sit with us. I did think that that drunk homeless man monologue was a little long winded. Like I felt like it was five minutes too long because <laughs> it's like they walk up and they're just like, Hey, you know, like that's, what are you singing? That's a nice song. And then like Alex just jabs his gentleman's cane into his stomach. And then he just goes to, he goes on like a five minute monologue with this like cane stabbed in his stomach essentially. And then the rest of 
Alex's gang are just kind of like sitting there frozen, listening to him talk. So I felt like it, it was, it was a little awkward. Yeah, there's, it definitely is that I, there's just so much there that, that in the dialogue that I don't recall or in that monologue rather that I don't recall that I, I thought to myself, boy, this must be, there, there may be more going on here than I realize. Cause I was like that, that old man, he's, he basically starts off obviously just telling them, just like, do me in already. I fucking hate life. Um, yeah, just, just, just end it. But you guys are assholes and you guys ought to know that too, you know, and mm-hmm. just do it already. And, but it was, uh, there's, there's so much more to it too. And kind of just gave a little bit of, I almost wonder without even having, again, remembering the monologue so well, I wonder if it was kind of like, maybe he wasn't so different from them when he was. Oh, you think so? Age. I don't know. Like he talks about living his, his, he talks about his life a little Making bit. Making some mistakes. I don't even know if he talks about making mistakes so much as, I, I don't know. I just don't know. I wonder, I, I wonder what the meaning was behind it. Cause, cause Kubrick was a, this guy was masterful. He was a chess player, like mm. literally a chess player. He loved chess. And so I, I think you said already that he, you, you watched this the second time with a, a big break in between and that there was so much there to unpack even now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's how Kubrick operated. He operated on many different levels and it's like when you watch the thing the first time, you may not even catch all the levels. And in fact, I ch- doubt, doubtful you will ever really see all the things on the first go. He's amazing that there, there's more meaning to one of his films than maybe, you know, several of anybody else's any great premeditated, great right? Like he, he doesn't do stuff on accident. Yeah. There's, there's a purpose there's very, behind it. There's a lot of purpose behind it. So on a, on a, on a first viewing or even a second viewing, I feel like that's easy to, say it would, it would be easy for me to say like that just sucked or whatever but i feel like and not that that's what you're saying either you're like it was long-winded but i, I think to myself like yeah i did feel like it was long-winded but also i kind of held my breath a little bit like yeah but i'm gonna put a pin in this and come like as walter would say as walter white would say i'm gonna put a <laughs> pin in that one and come back to it because uh i don't know Do you, what did going you think that here. there was a chance that maybe they would have felt sorry for him and they wouldn't have beat his ass. Cause you definitely felt that they had that intention of walking up to him. Very much so. You know, that's a good point. I think that there is tension that's building there that when you hear this person's story, this, their plight that almost in, in, in just, even if I don't know exactly what the dialogue was, the whole thing of hearing his kind of sob story, he was pretty pathetic, right? He's this old man and he's a homeless dude and whatever. And he's just singing, he's drunk and he's on the street. Um, kind of wonder what led to him even being there. And so then you kind of hear a little bit of, of what happened and how he's how his life is in kind of shambles. And you kind of empathize with him and wonder what would happen if I were in circum- in those similar circumstances, I would be in his shoes. You know, you, you, you can't help almost but empathize. Hmm. I want to say almost. You can't help but empathize to some degree when you sure, hear a little sure, bit yeah. about it. And he's whimpering and he's getting jabbed in his stomach and he's still carrying on. And what I would compare that to, I honestly wouldn't have made that connection had you not said what you just said right now. You're, you're kind of mm-hmm. feeling sorry for this guy as he's in this situation where you don't know, is he going to live? They, they end up beating his ass to who knows how how bad they, I was going to say within an inch of his life, but I don't know. They just whack the shit out of him and kick him and stomp him. Oh, yeah. Um, so, that was the warm up, right? Right, exactly. Exactly. They're just, oh, getting loose. Oh, they're getting yeah. stupid loose. And then they go and they say, well, we're going to do some more fighting and then we'll do some other terrible things i guess thinking about it now maybe uh, they did two things with that that prolonged shot with the homeless man so i think they wanted you to really really study this guy really identify him 
because mm-hmm. he's going to be coming back later. You know? <laughs> yeah, so they, they, wanna, they don't want you to just gloss over him. They're like this. You remember this guy, this guy mm-hmm. that he had this whole sob story at the beginning. Just, uh, you know, keep an eye out for him because he's going to be coming okay. back. Yeah. And then um, second off, I think maybe it, it was kind of taking you out of it. So you're like, oh, shit, you know, they're about to fuck some shit up. But then it starts kind of going into his, his little monologue and sob story. And you're just like, oh, shit, you know, like I kind of feel bad for the guy. And maybe, you know, maybe they, they'll just walk away. And then uh, it, I think that's to show you how how much of a piece of shit Alex and his crew is is they're just mm-hmm. they're just like yeah cool story bro and then just start like whooping his ass, you know? <laughs> cool story bro <laughs> almost yeah. like well almost as though part of the torture was to give him a thought hope. that he was yeah to give him hope <laughs> that he would actually not get his ass beat tonight and it's like Talk oh we're out of it yeah exactly it's like he's toying with them and they're just followers really it's it's alex that's the leader he's the one who sets the mm-hmm. tone so it's like once he strikes him then the rest just all join and beating the shit out of him so and yeah. then after that they, they they fucking go find billy boy and his gang and do that weird acrobatic like it's almost like like professional wrestling type of match a little bit yeah it's yeah. like oh, a no holds barred <laughs> tag yeah. team match but then no they all like point. pack into this little fucking like barely two-seater <laughs> of a car which yeah. they they call it the durango 95 mm. and um apparently they stole it or something but i think it's not even really like a car that anyone has ever seen. So that's why I thought it was interesting. And I actually looked a little bit deeper into this Durango 95 in the story. It's a fictional car. Like the Durango 95 is not a real thing, but the car itself that they were in, obviously that part when they're going like a hundred miles an hour through this, this dark dirt road was not real. <laughs> you know, right, they right, weren't, yeah, they, they weren't really driving it. But um, at some point, don't they actually see it drive up? Like you actually see the real thing kind of like drive yeah. it up into a driveway. So yeah, super it, was, lo- it was like, it was like a, a Lotus. It was like a fully functioning car. Mm-hmm, but it's mm-hmm. uh, the real car that was used in the film is actually a M505 Adams Brothers Probe 16 concept. So this is built in 1969 as, and wow. quoted an investigation into the extremes of styling. So that was quoted by, I guess, the, the the designers and creators of the Probe 16. And only three were ever made. And it just so happens that one of the three made it into this film. And so I almost feel like the rarity of this car made Holy it believably shit. futuristic, you know? Like it it was believable <laughs> that that this was a futuristic type of concept car because no one had one. And no one saw one, you know, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. you don't just see these things driving around after watching the movie. I was like, Durango 95. Why does that sound familiar? Now that finally makes sense to me because when I was watching the movie, I realized that Rob Zombie song, Never Gonna Stop. He actually mentions the Durango 95 and it turns out Never Gonna Stop is actually a song about A Clockwork Orange just in its entirety and so even the opening title or opening title the opening verse is uh he he talks about the durango number 95 and i never knew what the hell that was when i was listening to rob zombie a lot back in the day Mm. i hadn't seen a clockwork orange you know i didn't i didn't see a clockwork orange for the first time until only like a couple years ago and never gonna stop as an old ass song 
you know, that was like back in like middle school days or, or maybe even like sixth grade or something. Hmm. So that that's an old ass song. And I'm just now like, kind of like piecing it together. And even the song's subtitle, it's called never going to stop the red, red groovy. And that term red, red groovy is used in the film and it's quoted from Alex, who says it as a NATSAT term for blood. So wow. that's like a slang term for blood, red, red, groovy. And so I never knew that until now. I, and I'm just kind of like piecing it together. I'm like, holy fucking shit. Now it makes sense. Right. An homage to the yeah. brilliant. To the brilliant and here I was. I'll just listen to that song because it sounded cool. But mm. it actually had a, yeah, it had like a deeper meaning behind it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah, that car is badass. I had to like look it up just now as well. I was like, whoa, it's so much cooler. <laughs> it's so much cooler than anything. Wow, the back is it's just gorgeous. Every, everything very about this car is so sports car like, right? Mm-hmm. You can wonder how the hell you fit like four people, four four grown ass men in this little car when it looks it. like it can barely fit two. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like hanging on the the edges like one leg hanging over the door and they're like yeah. holding on to the car with one and then like holding their hat to their head with the other so it doesn't you know fly yeah, off exactly. in this fake scene but they're just like yeah <laughs> going like a hundred miles an hour and you see all these like cars like basically just like veering off the road and crashing because they're just like it looks like they're essentially driving against traffic so i don't know if they're yeah. implying that or if they're just uh, roads they over are. there are just supposed to be like really narrow. No, I noticed. I noticed that I th- I, I, he's driving on the right side of the road, but they're in England and you're supposed to drive on the left side of the road. <laughs> I noticed that he's that, that road to me looked like it could only fit one car anyway. So I wasn't really? sure if that was just like, you might be right yeah, for one yeah. direction. Yeah, maybe I was. Yeah, exactly. It could be tr- that, that definitely either way. You're right. They're, they're recklessly driving in this <laughs> bitchin' car. At night with like no no street lights or anything. There right. it looks like a, a rural area. You yeah, know? yeah, not, it does. Not they're no longer in the city. They they mm-hmm. purposely drove out of this way, and I think because they were scoping out this nice house, you know, and then that's where the whole singing in the rain scene comes in. Case in the joint, yeah. The singing in the rain song. It was it was interesting because that in and of itself that scene is is well the song is kind of a juxtaposition as to what's happening because you have this whole uh positive and serendipitous song right and it i think when people originally heard the song it was from that movie right singing in the rain yeah my understanding mm-hmm, so Kelly. you see it and and it's like an innocent scene and he's just kind of like you know dancing down the street and you know not harming anyone but mm-hmm. then when it's Happy used in this scene, they're literally like harming them, binding them, and they're getting ready to rape this this writer's wife. You know, right, they break right. in by basically saying like, yeah, you know, our, our car broke down. We're stranded out here and and it's the middle of nowhere. And so, you know, her being so naive, um, she's like, OK, well, I guess you know, she even like runs it by the writer guy and he's naive himself. He's like, well, I, it's best you let him in then. And so they just kind of bust in and they got their masks on with like the, the giant noses and they just uh, start like wrecking everything. And they, you know, they, they're basically beating them both, but then they, they go to uh, prepare to rape the wife. And it's just like such a disturbing scene because, you know, Mm -hmm. he's just, he's singing this happy go lucky song. It shows how psychotic Alex and his gang 
really is because this scaring these people and harming these people this is what brings them just such pure joy right yeah this is this is their form of entertainment and uh they have no qualms in doing harm to her and to her husband um yeah it's it's pretty awful and yet it's like you know, you just watch it all unfold. In fact, I'll, I'll be honest, that was the scene where I drew the line when I first started trying to watch the movie. I remember oh, I wasn't into it. I had a very different mindset. This would have been maybe, this would have been around 10 years ago when I first tried watching it. it it's very and, uncomfortable to watch that scene, honestly. Yeah, it was. I was like, I was like, all right, I watched them beat up an old man and, you know, fight some other people. And okay, so they saved that woman from being raped. Maybe they're not so bad. And I had just a very different mentality going into this. I wasn't as open-minded to the, to the whole story and watching it unfold. So when they got to the house and when they started the whole process, it made me so uncomfortable that I fucking just stopped watching. I was like, I, there's oh, plenty of other shit to, there's plenty of other shit to watch in the world. I don't need to subject myself to watching this, this kind of, um, this kind of horrific shit. Did you, did you feel like it was almost like torture porn? I started to feel that way. Yeah. I was like, I'm not into this. And, you know, I just, uh, I'm just not about that. Not about that. So yeah. So I turned it off and I was like, I thought I told myself like, fuck that. I'm never watching that movie. <laughs> I was like, that's some twisted shit. There's no redemptive quality in it whatsoever. A so, lot yeah, of that, it that... was to, to really drive that point home though, that like oh, Alex was mm-hmm. just such a piece of shit. Right. And that's exactly, I was just like, I felt at the time it was just so, it was agonizing. It was agonizingly long to sit here and watch this play out. I'm like, I get in, in, in it already. In typical Stanley Kubrick fashion, he likes to really Precisely. draw the scene. He does. He does with purpose, of course. Um, and so I, yeah, I, I, I was one of those who just, I, I just said, you know what? I reached my limit for this and I can watch a different movie or I'll go do something else. I'll, I just don't want, I just don't want to be seeing these kinds of things that I can't unsee again. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it seemed like you just weren't really in the, that mindset to watch this movie. I wasn't open. My, I wasn't looking. I didn't know anything about Kubrick. I'd never seen any of his previous films and I knew nothing of this story, which actually I prefer now that I think about it. I, I'm glad that I knew nothing of the premise before because I went in with, a, again, a blank slate. I'm like, what's happening? What's going to happen? I was very curious. So I was like, OK, so so of course, when I got to that scene this time when I watched the movie, uh, I was in a different mindset um, and I was like, okay, I'm going to see this all the way through before I cast judgment on the film. It's kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of like reading a book, right? And then you go, oh, well, this Don't is, knock it try it. <laughs> right, exactly. This, this book is, is terrible. I'm not going to finish it. So you, you, you throw it aside and you never go back to it again, but you, you don't know what the full message of the book was. And so you may, you may be, you may be surprised by what ends up happening. And yeah, the movie does have there, there is some payback for sure but oh yeah uh, what i what i do want to point about the scene so yeah yeah go for it go i for it. Uh, is it implied that the old man was was rich or really wealthy because i felt like his yes. wife looked less than half his age he looked like he was old as shit and she was like in her early 20s hmm yeah i felt well i thought that she looked more like in her you thought she was a little bit younger. older She's a little bit older, but not much older. So it's, it's, you know, I don't want to split hairs, but yeah, she was definitely younger. That's, that's your point. Yeah. She definitely looked younger. They have this beautiful house and quite an interesting, like, uh, quite an interesting foyer when you first walk in and then you go down that, you, you make a right 
as you walk down the hall and then make that left. And then you have those stairs to come down into the, um, like a dropped living room, dropped living area. Um, which that's it's super a very oddly laid out house in my opinion. Cause even just that, that foyer area, when you first walk in, it, it's pretty much filled with mirrors, but it still feels claustrophobic to me. Like the, the yeah. ceiling is like barely taller than the door and the door swings in awkward way because I guess it's designed for where the camera is positioned. So it's positioned Mm. facing down the hallway. So you have to walk up towards the camera to reach the front door. And so the door swings towards the hallway, which I feel like if anything, it would have swung towards the camera, you know, because I'm, Uh. I'm assuming that maybe towards the camera would be like where the, you, the coat closet or something would be. And then you would walk down towards the the hallway and the rest of the, the house but yeah, that the whole layout just it, even when the door swings, it almost reaches the wall across from it, you know. So it's like it seems oh. really claustrophobic to me. Yeah, I, I you know, there's also that's interesting, and I wonder what went into the selection of the particular house that they, if that's a real house or if they had a set built or or whatever. But but you know, to to your point though, this is not your typical house, and this man is older and he's got a, a beautiful young wife it seems yeah they were, that was his wife i remember him saying i that. think so yeah so so he's they're married um and they're dressed well they have really really um modern looking furniture did you so, see that, that reading nook that she was in it was, it was almost like a, a sensory deprivation pod looking thing that oh she was you know i don't I really don't remember that part. Yeah, that's that's interesting. No, I, I got to go back and at least look at, at what that scene looked like for for that. But no, uh, I just, you know, obviously she gets up. Oh, I'll go get that. Um, interesting. So, yeah, so he's definitely somebody who's affluent. And uh, I guess he's a writer. He's like an accomplished writer, right? Because he's always on his, his typewriter. Mm-hmm, just tapping mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. And he's really got that focused. bookshelf behind him, really tall bookshelf. Another thing I wanted to bring up with the scene, too, was... I wonder if, because how I was mentioned before, Singing in the Rain, people would were likely associating it with the movie Singing in the Rain before. But I wonder if it was such a disturbing and polarizing scene that after A Clockwork Orange came out, if people, when you mentioned Singing in the Rain, if people now first think A Clockwork Orange instead of the movie Singing in the Rain. It's an interesting thought. Yeah, maybe it did. Maybe that that kind of stuck with them more and they're just like, Singing in the Rain, is that the scene, that that crazy scene from A Clockwork Orange? <laughs> At least maybe during that time I could see that maybe that being the case. But Singing in the Rain is is so like, I mean, kids watch it even to this day. I don't know how many people are going out and watching A Clockwork Orange. You know what I mean? It's like, like you said, it's very, it's basically very Still a device a cult. movie. Yeah, yeah, cult movie, right? So it's like, for those who have seen it, they'll go, oh, are you singing it because of, you know, <laughs> their OG reason? Or are you singing it because of uh, the Clockwork, you know, A Clockwork Orange? Right, but yeah, right. That was, uh, that was a pretty horrific scene. And uh, the whole lead up of it and just like the the anxiety inducing part of it because they're relentless. They don't give a fuck and they're just doing and it's just drawn out and you're just like, get it over with already. Can you just cut to the next scene? I I get what's going to happen. So, yeah, it's uh, it definitely it's interesting. I think I'll be honest. Part of the reason why I even tuned into it because I did find out somewhere. I think I, I did end up looking up something about it and saw just that he got what was coming. To him and i thought well i can see that then i, I can actually deal mm. with that oh if so I that's have... that was the motivation for for wanting to finish the movie part of it yeah when when we started talking about bouncing that idea around i was like well let me you know 
if I have to watch him do that with like other women in this movie more and uh, it's just I was like I don't know I, I kind of wonder <laughs> who the fuck this Stanley Kubrick was and <laughs> how freaking <laughs> sick is like I don't know if I can do this to myself so yeah. um, when I saw that there was he was going to get his comeuppance I was like all right well let's let's see how this plays out then so that was I think the the way that they topped off their their ultra violence night and then Alex goes back to his room right and that's when you actually find out that he's a huge fan of Beethoven, it turns out, which is kind right. of interesting. Of I wonder what, what the purpose of that was. Yeah, the ninth specifically, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. I mean, it's a good song. <laughs> um, and it is regarded by critics and um, musicologists as Beethoven's greatest work. So maybe it just shows that Alex, uh, you know, he, he actually has some decent taste. Which is also interesting. Like, what is that? What does For that being say such about a distasteful him? person, he actually has good taste in music. Right, right. Which later, when he's being tortured and screaming, "This isn't right. No one should be. No one should be subjected. No one should ever have to lose the beauty of this music as a form of torture." <laughs> I shouldn't have to lose you. You may think this is nothing or whatever, but for me to lose Beethoven's is too great. I shouldn't lose beauty. No one should lose beauty as a form of torture. Human beings mm-hmm. should have access to that. And that's something we could also discuss or I don't know, because that's a whole other thing to unpack. Yet he's asking for clemency or he's asking for he's asking for uh, saying this is the limit. Like, come on, guys, this is too much. And it's like you certainly didn't say that when you were raping this woman and when you broke into this woman's house and she said, leave oh, me yeah. alone and get the hell out. And he's like, oh, 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 oh and still just pushing the envelope. So it's like. Well, he got he got what was coming to him. Uh, yeah, I always felt like that. That's an interesting concept. Is when you you show someone, you present them as being this basically person that's worth less than dirt, and yet at some point in the story, they make you uh, feel sympathetic for them. You know, mm-hmm. and you, you're like, man, he's this person's been through a lot, and you kind of feel sorry for him. And it's it's almost like I wonder if they're taking advantage of people's short attention spans, and people already forgot like that the terrible things that uh, this person has done. But then <laughs> it's like you know, there's there's two two sides to every story, and then you actually get to see Alex in like seemingly normal house environment, you know, and he's he has a family, he has a loving uh, mom and dad that are there, and you know they don't exactly they're they're very lenient and very negligent parents they don't Mm -hmm. really question what he's doing or where he gets this money or why Mm -hmm. he he comes home with like a black eye or whatever the fuck or a cut on his his arm or whatever and uh he just tells them to like basically he's like oh it's nothing mind your own business and they're like okay well just uh just be safe all right you know like they don't they don't like do anything they're barely parents some could maybe attribute to him being such a piece of shit to his parents like maybe his parents just never disciplined him and he just went through life thinking that he can get away with whatever the fuck he wants and he can do whatever he wants and there's gonna be no punishment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he's an only child too so it's like he's there he's their pride and joy he's there with their one and only so it's like you know maybe and they're, they they're know they know that. that he's he's been in some shit, you know. Like he he's truant at school. He doesn't go, and I'm sure there's been a lot of reports of like, you know how he how he is at school and how he treats people. And 
um, I think they they kind of just choose to look past that. Like they're like, yeah, I I know he he kind of kind of has a temper on him sometimes, or maybe he doesn't have a filter on his mouth all the time. But he's a good guy, you know. He we still believe that he's a good guy deep down. Then the truth comes out later when he gets out of when he gets released from prison, and it's like <laughs> they the real feelings get laid out uh, by the dad in a really passive way like in almost an apologetic way, even though he's the one who treated them like shit, they're like feeling bad because they're turning him away. Oh, I did want to ask you, what did you think of that weird ass bedroom therapy session with, uh, who the fuck was that guy? Deltoid? That, do you know, do you know what I'm talking about? It's like when, uh, I guess it's the next morning and his parents are like, Hey, you're going to go to school. And he's like, nah, I'm not feeling good. It's like, okay, whatever just uh, sleep it off and so he comes out and he fucking does his whole like uh safe lock thing like it's like he has to basically like crack in a safe and then um there's this guy that's like chilling in his parents bedroom on so he passes it on his way to the restroom i'm assuming and he's just he's like in his underwear and he's just like what the fuck were you and so it's it's uh this guy deltoid who i guess is a he's a post-corrective advisor assigned to Alex after he spent some time at a corrective school or something. But so I guess he, he's almost like a PO, but for like troubled students. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And that scene is fucking weird. I'm like, what the fuck is happening right now? So he's just like, he's like, Alex, Alex, come sit down, come sit down. And he's basically, he's just like, oh, you've been, hope uh, you haven't uh, been causing any trouble. Yes. uh," You know, and he's like fucking talking all weird. And then he's like, lay down. And he like pulls him down and they're like just laying on Alex's parents' bed together, you know, and he's just like, kind of like, almost like has his arm like wrapped around him. And he at some point he punches Alex in the balls and this like keeps his fist there, like digging into his balls and until Alex like pushes him off and he's like, bro, get the fuck off me. Uh-huh. Um, and it's like such a fucking cringe worthy scene. Like I was watching, I'm like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really yeah. know how to, how to interpret that scene. Yeah, I do remember that. Um, I should have written some stuff down about that because it definitely came across now that you're mentioning like, oh, there's definitely a reaction you have to it. And yeah, he's he's very like he's got, you know, pedo vibes <laughs> for oh, sure. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Like, what the fuck is definitely he... He, he was giving off some sort of predatory vibes. Predatory. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. predatory. Mm-hmm. You feel and... like maybe he he has probably assaulted some children at some point in his life or at you least know? that he has that if he hasn't done it yet he's going to try um that he's that he's on the prowl keep himself from doing it like he's compulsive as well so it's interesting because he's compulsive what's alex compulsive as well and yet and yet people trust him around their kids you know because he's supposed to be helping in quotes uh alex get better and basically be kind of a big brother to him you know and and tell him what's right what's wrong and what he should and shouldn't be doing right right it's almost like rather than it's like he is society's um the doler i can't even think of a word right now but yeah it's like as if he, he's the one who who takes care of that parents can't do it all right so we're gonna hire this person we're gonna pay him the state's gonna pay him the country's gonna pay him to to to, to disseminate morals to people and we'll turn a blind eye because, you know, we've hired him to do this thing. He's he's the one who's 
teaching them morals. So certainly he'll be living by those morals. And yet here he's like, <laughs> he's not, he's, I mean, at least he's, he's got ulterior motives for engaging with young folks. Seemingly. Like that. Yeah. That's what it, that's what it felt like. Seemingly ulterior motives at the very least, but maybe, maybe yeah. it, it could also be, he's just really socially awkward, but I doubt he would, he would have been able to get a job like that being so socially awkward around people. And after that, uh, before they actually go on that, um, their next heist, uh, Alex and his droogs, Alex is actually surprised, you know, that his droogs kind of paid a, an unexpected visit to him at, at his place. Right. He comes and out of the elevator or whatever. It, it or felt very, yeah, it felt very, uh, tense, right? Like, did you get that feeling too? Like how they're, they went there with a purpose, Right, he's and, skipping and, down the stairs, and then all of a sudden, oh, and then he just really comes to a halt, and he's, yeah, like you said, he's You, you see his like, demeanor oh. change, because he's just like, oh, you know, like, he he's not used to being caught off guard by his, his own droogs, like, he, he's just used to them, them being very predictable, and and uh, they just follow his, his orders, right, but... What what I thought was was interesting about this this dynamic was Alex thought for sure without a question that he was their leader, but then the his his droogs were were kind of like saying like, "Hey, who the fuck made you the leader?" You know, like we never voted on this. We did. We don't want you as a leader. Our crew doesn't need a leader. You know, we're all, we're our own leaders. We all decide together what we want to do. And Alex is like, no, 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 like, I'm the fucking one that leads you guys, you know, like, who the fuck gave you permission to even think this way, you know, like, we do what I say. And they're Mm -hmm. even talking about like, they're like, yeah, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to follow you anymore. You, you always want to do like these, these bullshit activities and like rob uh, people for like $5 in the street when we could be getting like real money, you know, and we even got this tip that there's this, this lady who has a house full of like gold and we can just hit up that house and be fucking set and so he's just like oh so you guys just kind of took it upon yourselves to just come up with plans and shit huh without consulting me so he you know he has to re restate his his authority over his his crew but also uh-huh. at the same time he he wants to know more information about this this uh lady in the this house and where she stays and but the thing is when he kind of intimidates them into following him again and not questioning him. He then takes it upon himself to punish them for questioning his authority, which I thought was pretty interesting. That's the scene where he like knocks them all into the water and then he Mm -hmm. cuts that guy's hand. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's the one and only time you see that his gentleman's cane has a hidden knife inside of it. Right. It's, it's more than meets the eye with this guy for sure. You just don't know. He's, he's almost like that, that, that knife is almost like a, a metaphor for who he is too. You just Mm. don't even know what, you don't even know what craziness is, is on, lies beneath the surface of that smile or of that seeming gentleman you know oh this is plain cane it's nothing no big deal oh yeah a dagger he, in it. He, he even like goes out to uh like the was it like that music store or something and he picks up on those girls and you know he he's dressed all regal and everything and he has this gentleman's cane and he i think he kind of plays up the fact that he's like really wealthy when he's not oh yeah yeah he has a certain confidence a certain swagger when he goes in there side note um as he's walking through that store right as he comes around to kind of where they are, there's a album like the front facing album is uh, 2001 
I noticed that. Yeah. You saw that too? Yeah, yeah. It's just so, that was so funny. funny. So so tongue in cheek with uh with Kubrick that he would even do that. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah. Actually in comparison to the novel, they actually reworked this part of the story because in the novel he actually ends up drugging and raping two ten year old girls. But in this one he actually just kind of convinces them to come home with him and they're they're actually like the same age as him you know or or roughly around there and then so he convinces them to come home with him and then they all consensually have a threesome right which is that's i think even more interesting that that there are times that that he can be such a that his confidence which gets him to have his uh droogs follow him is the same confidence that will win these women over certain types of women perhaps to to sleep with them I mean, it wasn't creepy at all that he licked that random girl's popsicle and she was all for it. She was like, all right, <laughs> I guess that's where this is going. Right. I mean, that's just, it definitely shows his intention for sure. And it's like, <laughs> if that's the type of girl that you are, he's putting the vibe out there. And if she was, she's like, yeah, for sure. I'm down. Hey, do you know who Evan Peters is? Yes. He's a great so, actor. So I think he's a great actor. Is it weird that I think Malcolm McDowell without like you know his whole like get up and everything he looks dead on like evan peters like i feel like if they ever tried to do a remake of this film like maybe like a more modern version or something i feel Mm -hmm. like peters could be a top contender to play alex like i feel like they don't look too far off yeah they do have similarities for sure there's this kind of quiet rage in in both of them too especially having watched uh american horror story and i feel like evan can play both like a charming ladies man as well as mm-hmm. a fucking creeper you know so no, i feel definitely. like he, he's definitely capable of both yeah no definitely definitely did you know what the hell a health farm was until this movie because i actually had to look that up no i was like what the fuck farm. is a health farm so that lady's house that they go to the wealthy lady that supposedly how they they heard has like a lot of gold oh, and right. shit inside her house mm-hmm. she runs a health farm which once I looked it up, I found out that it's it's a residential establishment where people seek improvement or improved health by regiment of dieting, exercise, and treatment. So it's kind of a, a, a gym slash spa around out of a person's house. And this is to me that's just like a strange concept because that's not really common here, at least not what from what I've seen. Like you go to a business that's known for right. for like being like a, a spa or someplace to to exercise but to like run something like that out of your house i wonder if that's a thing in the uk these health farms i wonder yeah it's, i mean it's quite a large house too so if they're willing to pay you know room and board or whatever i don't know what that would require but did you ever watch fleabag yeah i did okay so do you remember the show by the way oh my god that show is amazing um why i brought her up or at least fleabag now I'm, now I'm lost. um while well, we were uh, talking about the health farm but did they have something the like health that farm yes that's what okay so the health farm do you remember there's a point where they go she goes with her sister to do like this yoga kind of camp and it's okay. in like this ginormous house it's a it's straight up straight up just a house huh. so i'm thinking that, that that's, maybe it is a thing over there yeah i'm wondering if that's not uncommon if you have a if like you have that. a really nice house, you just want to share it with the world, and you want to bring randos in and and risk getting robbed. Apparently, <laughs> right? I mean, how does she, who knows how how she even vets the people? There's a lot. There's a lot to consider. And back then, you know, these these hooligans aside, I mean, who did you really? 
I don't know. It is a dystopian future. So I, I don't know. I don't know the, the whole setting and, and if that's something that she felt safe doing. And um, Alex and his droogs, they, they try the same method, but it doesn't work. You know, they try the same like, oh, help us. We're stranded. We need to use your phone. Right. And, and she wasn't having it. She was like, nah, you know, sorry. I don't I, I don't let people in after dark or whatever. And mm-hmm. so they're like, okay, well, sorry to bother you. And so they actually have to find a different way in. So right. it was interesting that they had to, they had to improvise. They're like, okay, well, how else can we break in? Right. That is interesting. And it's interesting to note that right after she says goodbye to them or whatever, she goes and immediately makes a phone call. And then so she did the right thing. Right. And then you understand why she didn't open the door because she says over the phone, I just heard this, these gentlemen knock at my door, say the same phrase that I saw in the newspaper that mm-hmm. a woman was talking about That's these right. men, or, you know, this men, or not this woman, but that this, this husband and wife had been, uh, you know, ransacked attacked, and everything, right? Mm-hmm. attacked. Right. And that, that this was the same exact phrase that was used in that newspaper that they were quoted as having said. Yeah. I actually, I really liked her character because none of what her character did was surprising to me or, 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 frustrating so i felt like she did the right thing she immediately called the cops you know she was telling them she's like you know i don't really think it's necessary for you guys to do you know a little uh visit and they're like you know we'll send one anyway so she was like okay you know if you if you really feel like you need to then go ahead and send someone over um so she hangs up the phone and then that's when alex kind of what you know with the help of his his droogs they uh he they help him sneak in through a window and he just walks in on her and so she's like who the fuck are you? So she wasn't backing down. You know, you can tell she was, yeah. she was scared, but she was, she was still trying to like kind of put up that front. She was like, no, you need to get the fuck out of my house right now. And he's just like, no, nah, I don't think so. And so, you know, she, she stands her ground. And unfortunately that that's what gets her killed because he, he sees that, that giant, like weird, like penis art piece. Yeah. That was, it was a pretty savage way to go out. Like how he, t- he takes her out because she falls down and then he just smashes her face in with the end of it. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't show it though. Like it, it has that weird, right. like kind of psychedelic effect. Yeah. And you just, it, it's implied that, you know, he, he basically smashed her skull in with it. It's somehow, I mean, it, it's not even just somehow it is appropriate that that's how it happens too. Because he just lived, this is the thing that seems to control him anyway, his lust, right? His lust for violence, his lust for sex. And toying with people. Toying with people. So this this huge phallic art piece becomes the very thing that he perpetrates. It's appropriate that this is the thing that leads (laughs) to his undoing. This is what gets him arrested, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> right. And what's also what's also noteworthy, I was going to mention, though, is that so here's this woman who's, you know, she's she's well to do. It seems she's got this big house, you know, this her own business. She's an entrepreneur mm-hmm. um, and she's got these, you would imagine, expensive art pieces in, in her house. And they're all nudes. You know, that too. And they're all women. And they're I all thought it, was, women. it was really odd. Right. They're, they're all women. And yet he's got the, she's got this one phallic or, you know, art piece there, this, this, this <laughs> sculpture. And I think it's so interesting because she's comfortable with it and um, not just comfortable with it, but sees it uh, no less perhaps as just, I mean, I would say that as art, right. She's not being weird about it or whatever. She herself isn't necessarily being sexual. She's just working out in this room and he comes in and sees it. And so there are two different interpretations. She just says, get the hell out. 
and he looks around and sees, oh, you've got you're dirt, you're you got a dirty mind. You're you're so he he thinks images of of naked women are pornographic in and of themselves. Right. He only sees naked and he sees porn. She right. sees art. And she's just on another on another level. She's different. And so you can see like that's just the the way that he sees the world. The mental maturity, right? The mental maturity, precisely. The mental maturity he has and and it's ironic because he thinks he's so fucking smart and yet it isn't it isn't it true that when we think we're smart when we when we know everything there's nothing else we can learn we damn ourselves to the things we we know and that's it and we 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 close ourselves off to knowing anymore mm-hmm. and so he thinks this is the only way to interpret this situation and then thinks that it's okay to fuck with her with this thing and then and on top of that what like makes him even more of a piece of shit was you know, it's one thing to break into someone's house, but he, what really solidifies him going to prison was the fact that that lady who he smashed her face in, mm-hmm. um, with the art piece, he really thought that she was going to survive that. He's like, no, no, no. Like, you know, I just knocked her over the head with it. She's fine. And they're like, no, she went to the hospital and she died. <laughs> now you're charged for murder. And he's like, oh fuck. No, I, all I did was I just kind of tapped her over the head, you know, and like she was, she was fine when I left her. And so, yeah, he thought that you saw like the position she was on the ground. He was standing over and he just both hands, boom, drives that art piece. It looked, that thing looks solid. And he drives that shit into her face. So, and he he thought she was going to survive that. Yeah. Just how delusional he is. He thinks it's so interesting because he's just ruled by his own, his own thoughts. So it's as though he thinks his reality is true reality. And yet every, everything he pushes it to the point where reality comes back and and kicks his ass. Now we get to the Ludovico technique, the experimental <laughs> aversion therapy. Right, right. This was pretty interesting because what I love about the Ludovico technique in the film is how the characters seem to downplay it. So even the warden and the head of security they're they're just they think and and i feel like even alex to a certain extent he himself was thinking he was getting off easy everyone thought that oh this motherfucker's cheating the system and he's gonna he's gonna go off and do this weird aversion therapy thing and he's they're gonna let him out on the streets and he's just gonna be doing the same shit you know like a week later they were really uh hesitant to to release him and everything and who who the fuck would have thought that it was it was kind of inhumane what they were going to be doing to him right to the point where you're like oh god that's fucked up like that's actually this it's is worse. this is overkill <laughs> yeah this is actually overkill you just and you don't even know just just horrific that is awful i mean it was awful on so many accounts like this movie was just like it was it's intense. It's a. It is a good movie, but but and man. E- even when he gets handed over, they're they're like buttering him up. They they make him cozy in his room. You know, he's in this nice soft bed and he has clean clothes. He took a shower and he's kind of like warm, you know, under the sheets. And he's like eating in bed, like they have the little like bed tray and and he's like fucking stuffed full of delicious food and whatnot, a hearty mm-hmm. meal and and like okay, well you know, and like just go ahead and rest up and tomorrow we, we begin the treatments. And he's like, all right, cool, you know, let's do it. And you you know he's like so for it he's mm-hmm. like man this is fucking great like i can't believe they let me out to do this shit you know yeah until they bring out the experimental serum number 114 yeah and that's i don't know what that's supposed to represent the whole like right. number 114 but that's what was on the bottle 
you kind of wonder like what happened what were the, the other, other. <laughs> 113 uh mo- did they kill people i mean did that actually what, what did that do um took them 114 tries to get to this one that's um, uh the, the weapon x yeah. program that's how they create the super soldiers yeah and then and then just the 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 serum it's hard to like vilify like a serum and be like "Ooh, this is so this is so gnarly you know so to have this depiction of his eyes his eyelids being you know forced forced to open. stay open with these metal contraptions that can't be that nice they're not that com- they can't be that comfortable to have you know <laughs> holding your i can't i'm like doing it right now it's like oh it's awful and then and, constantly and- like getting eye drops in right so that way you don't miss anything Right, right. Your eyes don't dry out. No, you're going to see all of this and all of its terribleness. Just constant violence. And, you know, at first he's, he's watching it and he's just like, you know, this is a good flick. I think I've seen this one. And he's just kind of being cheeky about it. Yeah. And yeah. then um, he, you know, he he's like thinking to himself, man, you know, I'm, I'm kind of feeling nauseous, but I don't know, maybe I ate too fast or something, whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then it's like they, you know, they keep uh, injecting that r- random serum, whatever the fuck it is, into his veins, and and now he's getting sick while watching these these violent acts, you know, like concentration camps and and bombs blown up and people getting shot and or burned or whatever the, whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. and then later they start introducing Beethoven into it. And that's what, that's like the final nail in the coffin. Like he's already feeling miserable and he's like, he was like, man, what the, like, what the fuck are you doing to me? And then, well, he was already that, screaming. It was he, like, he, he like fucking loses it once he realizes Beethoven is, is part of the package. And that's what yeah. you're talking about earlier was he was just like, he's like, I, this, I love this so much and you're going to try to ruin this for me. And they're like, you know, sorry, there's an, this is kind of part of the treatment and we, we didn't intend on doing this. You know, we didn't know that you liked Beethoven, but it just so happens that, Hey, you know, we like ninth uh, symphony. Right. Right. <laughs> it was just the, uh, yeah, no way of knowing, especially that a delinquent would be like, why, why would they think that that would be the case? And yet here he was, he could appreciate Beethoven's ninth. Yeah, no, that was, that was intense. Yeah. He screamed before and begged them to stop, but then it was that it was, you know, he tried in previous sessions and, and told them to stop and it was too much and felt he was going to be sick uh-huh. But it was when they did Beethoven's Night that he actually had he threw other arguments out there, and they had to like pa- take pause and look at each other and be like, "Oh shit, are we doing this?" Is right it kind of awesome? <laughs> right, right. Where you can tell, like they were they were really curious. They're like, "Oh shit, you know, let's see what happens. Let's just keep going." You know, they they're because right. they're scientists, and so they want to they want to see what effects happen. Right, and because he's uh, you know he's been ostracized by society for the crimes he's committed. It's like, who's going to really give a shit, right? You think, oh, I mean, like, we can't just ask somebody to to subject themselves necessarily to be tormented this way. Uh, But hey, if we got a willing subject who has a prison sentence, who's going to really give a shit if we tell them, if we do this? It's a form of torture. Why not? Why not choose somebody to test it out on like him? So yeah, that was And then after the treatment, what did you think of the stage demonstration that they did with Alex? Oh, that was, that was pretty rough stuff. Ugh. Like and and him like licking that guy's shoe that was terrible. I did think the the violence demo part was kind of cringe because he was doing some like <laughs> like old school like silent film techniques, you know, where it's like stomp on your foot and grab your nose and pull on your earlobe 
And I'm uh-huh. like, really? This is the the violence demo part? Like, I thought he would have, like, punched him in the stomach or started just, like, punch him in the face or something. But maybe that mm-hmm. would have been too much. So he was kind of doing, like, comical uh, techniques to, to try to enrage Alex. And I think that wasn't convincing a lot of the, the people in the crowd because they're like, they're like, you know, he, he's a pretty tough kid. He, you know, he's been in prison as well. And, you know, he, he survived that before he got brought over for the Ludovico technique. So, or uh, maybe he's just good at putting on a, a poker face and yeah. we're not really convinced that he's changed. And so then they do the sex demo after that. And so they straight up just bring out a topless woman who is basically, I think she's just objectively supposed to be hot to everyone. So they're like, I mean, she's gorgeous, oh, there's no, yeah. there's no fucking way Alex is turning this down. Yeah, he's a horn dog. He's a horn dog. He, he's going to, he's going to do it. If nothing else, there's no freaking way that he can stop himself from touching, putting that, his yeah. hands on, on this woman. She's, mm-hmm. she's basically like served up on a silver platter for him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he can do it. You know, he, he starts dry heaving and he, he basically goes into a fetal position. Yeah, yeah. It's funny that that is what finally convinced everyone. It, even when you look at the warden and the, the, the head security guard guy, that's when they're like, holy shit, this works. Yeah, this is And it was real. only because of that, that sex mm-hmm. demo. Yeah, I mean, and even, I think even as the, <laughs> again, Kubrick just being genius, it's like, I wasn't even convinced you know, you're able to articulate how they felt because in some sense we are that same, we are that same group of people who are watching him do these things that we've seen him, you know, these terrible things that he's done. And so we're not, I I wasn't buying it. Oh, so he licks the bottom of the shoe. That's pretty awful. But Mm. who knows? Maybe, maybe he's, uh, he's just holding it in for this reason. You know, he just wants to get the fuck out. Maybe he's faking it and poker facing it. Right. And then, and then Mm -hmm. when the sex demo happened and he did that, everything changed in my mind and I thought, okay, good. He's been rehabilitated on the one hand, but on the other hand, I thought, what are the ramifications though? Is that, does the, does the punishment fit the crime in this sense where he can never have sex again? He's basically, yeah, he's been castrated in some sense. He's like emotionally castrated. He's emotionally castrated. He he can't even think about sex at all. You know, he can't think a girl's even attractive. And then until, uh, you know, otherwise he'll, he'll start dry heaving and, and start getting nauseous. But it's so human to, to have sexual desires. And it's so human to also have that whole fight or flight mode kick in, which happens when you're, when violence is being perpetrated, even just against you. And so when that happened and it, and it clicks, oh, he's been rehabilitated. I'm like, okay, what are the ramifications of that? And what are the, um, ramifications as well for him now no longer being able to defend himself exactly the point of this this whole aversion therapy was so that he he can be released into society and he would be um a peaceful yet functional member of society but he wouldn't be functional he might be peaceful but he won't be able to function (laughs) you know at all like he's he's gonna be debilitated for like a lot of common scenarios right exactly and and a lot of stuff that's that's even out of his control exactly exactly they were very ham-fisted with their uh with their therapy and in a way it's not unlike it's not it's not as i don't know them being the conscience of conscience of of the people 
you know, you want to know, hey, if you bring this guy back out into society and it's only been, what, two fucking years since he's been put in in the first place, well, better damn well be re- rehabilitated. We don't want him to just, like, sneak on up in here. Mm-hmm. And, and this, was, un- this was unrepentant. essentially marketed as some sort of miracle therapy, you know, miracle so, care right. to sick people. So it's almost as though they needed to demonstrate in an extreme way that this was possible. That yeah, we're 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 demonstrating to you that he we did it, we found a way to get humans to be accepted back into society. We can do we can <laughs> we can crush them in a way. And that is this the only way? Possible. And this this was an alternative to the actual just typical jail prison system. You know, like they they felt that that didn't work, and that this was the only way that it was actually going to work. Right, because is it proven that every person, literally every man that comes out of prison has been rehabilitated to be func- to, to function in society without committing those crimes that got them there in the first place or, mm-hmm. or, or committing any violence against people? But little do they realize, the again, the full ramifications for not being able to defend yourself and just how, how torturous. I mean, that's that, that's awful to live a human life the way that he was living for a little while outside of the facility back in society. <laughs> it's terrible. He got beat up by those old people. Man, he gets he gets it terrible. He gets it he oh, gets it, it back it, in it spades. Gets bad. So it starts off with his parents not even being happy or comfortable having him be back. He just kind of pops right. up and they're like, Oh Alex, you're you're back. You didn't you didn't let us know ahead of time. And and it's weird because they're like before they weren't scared of him but i almost felt like once they heard about all the things that he's done and what he was capable Mm -hmm. of and then he got locked up then they became actually fearful of him so they're you know like the dad's kind of like he looks uneasy and he kind of like you know he has his arms like kind of like close to his chest when uh, Mm -hmm. alex walks up to him and and alex is just like you know like he wants he's willing to to just pick up where he left off and I, you know, he, his parents were always lenient on him and, and he felt like he was, he was kind of the head of the household, you know, they, they didn't really tell him otherwise. And he wanted to go right back to that. <laughs> and then he gets, he gets so pissed about that random ass dude that like lives there now. He's like, he's like, dad, who the fuck is this guy sitting on the couch? <laughs> I thought that was such a funny scene. No, it's a good scene. It, it's good. Uh, but it's, it's man it's it's crazy because of the dynamic of like how he, that dude that rents out Alex's room now he's like more of a son to them than his own son he treats them with respect and and all of that and it's just interesting because despite the fact that he's gone through all this this torture it was really um these reactions that he has are super unavoidable but it didn't change who he how he thinks at all it didn't get to his the causes of his wanting to do all these bad things so like he's still fucking delusional mm-hmm. he's still delusional so delusional in fact that when he comes home he thinks things can just go back to the way they were he like knew he the effects of his, the treatment he knows that they work but then because he's feeling good at the time he thinks that oh it's temporary it's it's gonna wear off you know and then i can go back to doing what i was doing before but then he can't because uh wasn't he gonna be he was gonna attack that guy yeah he was gonna try running out the room but then he starts uh just curling up into a ball and that's when at first the guy's kind of 
scared of, of him as well. Like he thinks he's mm-hmm. actually going to attack him, but then he's like, oh, okay, well. Um, and I think the crowd also is the crowd. the The general population is also informed about what these techniques are. Like I think you can you can probably read about what this Ludovico technique is. And so I don't, I don't think they're completely in the dark about like what treatment he's gone through. I think they're, they're trying to kind of promote the minister of interiors is definitely trying to use this as a tool to, to make him a popular, you know, in the the population's eye. Mm -hmm. So I I think he's, he's definitely trying to, now that he has like real evidence, he, he wants to uh, publicize that as much as possible. And uh, so I think they probably, I think that guy that rents out the room, he, he knows, oh shit, yeah, you can't do anything to me. Oh, I forgot about that. So as much as you want to punch me in the face right now, you can. And so that uh, gives him the confidence to be able to say what he wants to say to Alex. And he's just like, you don't deserve to be here. You're, you're fucking worthless piece of shit. And you know, you were given everything, everything by your parents, these loving people that are allowing me to stay here. And, um, you know, like I deserve to be here more than you at this point. Yeah, he does. He does. So it's funny just how how this all gets flipped on on Alex and how his delusions that he went into prison with and, and kept um, thinking that people would he, he, he plays the victim. You know, I served my time. He's not like I get it. He doesn't go just like, you know, what, you guys are right you guys are right. Like, I, I gotta go, you know, I mistreated you guys. Hey, look, I gotta go. No, he still plays this victim still <clears throat> thinks that he's the one that these terrible things were done against. Doesn't realize, doesn't, doesn't own the fact, doesn't own the consequences of his actions. Still. He just has things per- done to him. And then <clears throat> he goes out and has to do no interior work whatsoever on himself. He, he just checks all the boxes before he goes to do the Ludovico. He is, is, you know, reading the Bible and, and really convincing this priest that he's turning a new leaf with ulterior motives to just convince him to give him. He's a fucking sociopath, dude. He's a conniver. He's a, for sure. He's a total sociopath, (laughs) total conniver. So, um, yeah. So then he gets, he gets the boot from his parents and he's out on the street. And then, so he gets his comeuppance from the very people who raised him. And then, and then the homeless guy. Dude, talk about a bad day. This guy had a fucking oh, bad man. day. Oh man. <laughs> got kicked out. He doesn't know where the fuck he's going to live. He has no job. Um, who knows what the fuck's in that brown bag that he's carrying. I'm assuming just more clothes. doesn't yeah. seem like it's anything else. And then, um, yeah. So the homeless person walks up, asks him for some change. He actually gives it to him. So he's actually, you know, he's like, I think he's looking at the bridge contemplating suicide and you know, he, Might he be. sees a homeless guy and he, yeah. at this point, Alex doesn't have shit on him, but he, you know, he still gives him change. And then the guy him. recognizes him and he's like, Oh shit. <laughs> and then he gets his ass beat by yeah. like dozens of homeless people. Yeah, exactly. And then it only gets worse from there. Oh man. Then, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then his, his other so-called friend, former, one of his former droogs sees him. <laughs> and man. they're now police officers. And they're now police officers. Holy Here, shit. You. They were so fucking excited when they saw him. They're like, holy oh, shit. We never thought we'd see you again. And they're right. like, here, you know, come with us. We'll, we'll help you. Right. And he can't do anything because he's still in a state, right? He's still like, no, please. Yeah. And so they, uh, yeah, they take him out to the sticks mm-hmm. and they torture him out there. They're like Man, fucking was borderline drowning they, him. Yeah. They, they do. That's one take. I mean, that's, that's one long take. As yeah. far as I can tell. No I don't cuts, think there right? was, No cuts. 
And he, I remember like, I kind I held my breath. You just kind of <laughs> do. I mean, it's natural, I think. So I started holding my breath as I'm watching him. And I'm like, holy shit, he's under there for a long time. I was tripping he out. Was. I was like, I was like, fuck, this is a long time. Holy I noticed shit, that he's, too. And, like, and he's still handcuffed. Yeah. Yes, exactly. He's still handcuffed. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, what is the what's the sign for what, what what's what's the safe word what's the when you safe go, word when you go limp that's the safe word <laughs> i mean what, i mean he was so committed and kubrick was yeah. really amped selected him specifically malcolm so for for so i mean he's what what is he doing to protect the star of his the star of the movie for him? oh he, he's not doing shit <laughs> who knows i don't even know what safety precautions they had needed back then even and he had a really small crew kubrick did so yeah I don't know if he had a paramedic on set. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Could you have even given the safe word, the, the, safe word, the signal, you know, because <gasps> if you, if you like thrashed or kicked Kubrick was probably like, yes, that's great. That, that looks realistic. That's awesome. You got to sell it. Right. Yeah. You're just, <laughs> he's just selling it. He's just selling it. And then by oh. the end, Malcolm probably complained, but Kubrick's like, Hey, but did you die? <laughs> but did you die? <laughs> um, I wonder, well, I wonder if, like you said, yeah, I wonder if the the signal is just to go limp. So maybe maybe he still has plenty of breath, but he just decides like, okay, I'm ready to end this scene now. I'm just going to go limp, you know. Mm. But he certainly didn't. He certainly gave him everything entirely. Uh, and, and, and it's like it's so funny to go from hating this guy to then somehow empathizing with him. And, and being like, oh, man, this is this is this is too cruel. You know, this is too much, too. And that that wasn't even the end of it for Alex either. So he was left out there in the oh, sticks right, in the middle of nowhere. Right. And then this intense storm comes raining down on him. So he's just walking through this this dark forest, soaking wet. It's pissing yeah. rain outside. Yeah. And he he just goes to the first house he finds. And what right. house is this? <laughs> That writer's this, house, man. This was the writer's house. This was that nice house that with the claustrophobic foyer. <laughs> yeah, claustrophobic foyer, and and he doesn't arrive this time in that house with any friends, no droogs, mm-hmm. and no fancy ass, dope ass concept car. He mm-hmm. is literally crawling to the door. Very different yep. from the first time he entered this house. Oh, also. Um... The writer's wife is not answering the door this time. It's a, uh, it's this buff-ass caretaker bodyguard guy. Right, right, yeah. Who's just doing like just bicep curls all day long? Apparently, that's what he does. Right. In anticipation, it's almost like in anticipation <laughs> of ever having this kind of situation happen again. Even just for his own peace of mind, he hires. He's wealthy enough to hire a, just a, a bodyguard. And so this motherfucker answers the door, picks him up, mm-hmm. clean off the ground, and like brings him inside. They actually take care of him, you know, and uh, the writer kind of immediately recognizes that he's like, oh, I've read about you. You're are you the guy that they just released that went through that that weird uh, treatment? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, say no more, fam. You know, we got you. We'll we'll give you a nice warm bath. We'll feed you. And you know what? This is where I noticed this made no sense to me. So this this nice ass house that the writer lives in, he you you get the sense he's wealthy but he, after that brutal beating that he took, he's now confined to a wheelchair. This this layout of the house is like, as soon as you hit that corner, it's steep, right? It's like a steep drop. You have to, you have to basically descend two levels. And it kind of combines the living room, 
study and dining room, you know, all right. into one. The, this buff bodyguard caretaker guy has to pick the old man up, including like in the wheelchair. So he like picks the wheelchair up with the old man in it and climbs up and down the steps all day long as, as needed. So this is, this is his daily routine. Apparently right. mm-hmm. you don't think he would have like redesigned that area to have a ramp. So that way, just in case, let's say buff man sprains his ankle or something and he's not able to go up and down the stairs. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do then? You're just going to be stuck down there in your study. You know how yeah. you're supposed to get back up. Yeah. I don't know. That's interesting. I thought he would have he would have created some sort of like zigzagging ramp that goes all the way up and down, you know. That, so that way he's at least more self sufficient. But but maybe he cares more about the aesthetic of the house, and because he's wealthy enough, just says fuck it, I'm gonna pay a person well enough to make them be comfortable with like, yeah, I'll fucking carry you up and down the stairs. I'm making enough money <laughs> or whatever. Like, yeah, that yeah, I don't know. Maybe he just cares a lot about that house. You know, and I want to give credit. Or credits do that buff guy made that shit look fucking easy. Like he, he just dead, he deadlifts that that guy in the wheelchair and just like Breeze. walks down the stairs, no strain at all. Mm-mm, smooth. Yep. He's a smooth operator. Yeah. What did you think of this? This shit is just like it's it's comical to me. So he he finally gets put into like a warm bath to heat back up, and he starts singing singing in the rain giving himself away i i was like are you fucking kidding me all he needs to do is just shut his damn mouth and he'll be fine mm-hmm. and it's it's him singing singing in the rain and that is when the old man the writer discovers this guy was one of the, those hooligans that put me in this wheelchair and and caused my wife to kill herself isn't isn't that what uh what happened to his wife i guess she yeah, after yeah, the rape she, she was she was so uh just recover. Yeah, she was so traumatized by that that she mm-hmm. committed suicide, and mm-hmm. you know he was he was left by himself. So yeah, lost lost the yeah, love of he, his life, and he he blames this guy for for his wife's death, and you know he put him in the wheelchair, and basically ruining his life. So on top of the fact that he was already interested in him because of the, his experience with the experimental treatment, mm-hmm. now he he really wants to fucking just dig that knife in and twist it because he knows who this guy is he's grimacing he's like on the verge of screaming and you could see just the veins in his neck he's just like he's losing it um just enraged and and the shot from down from from beneath up to his face is very similar to the shot used in the shining yes when when, when jack is trying to coax his wife to come you know coax his wife out of the bathroom and he's just like leaning up against the, you know i'm glad you mentioned that because yeah, that was yeah i i did want to do a shout out to that scene that was that's quintessential stanley kubrick right there getting that shot where it's like your your forehead is resting up against the door and that it's mm-hmm. that upward shot you know pointing mm-hmm. up at their face yeah and i remember that when when uh kubrick did that for the shining i think he he didn't even really think about that technique and he's just like oh let me try something so he actually lays down himself and he has like mm-hmm. a little like handheld camera and he like points up at, at, at jack nicholson he's just like yeah let's do that and so he uses that same shot which i, I thought was awesome that's almost like a his signature shot yeah yeah and it says so much too it's interesting the the how the how the dynamics have shifted now because the because anything shot from below somebody 
you know, when you, if you, even if you were to like kneel down when I do my photography, when I, when I kneel down and if I'm looking up, the visual that is being conveyed is this is a person of power. This person is more powerful than the viewer. So not only does he shoot it from down low where you could get other things in the frame, he shoots it straight from beneath, almost perpendicular entirely to the, to the ceiling. Yeah, to that person. So that's interesting. I don't know. I think I think I don't know if you can see a bookshelf in the background, but it's like ultra power, right? Like you see that, and it's like you went. It was so interesting because you go from seeing him as a weak person when he gets his ass beat by uh, them in the beginning of the movie, and then and so it looked like Alex was more powerful, <laughs> and then when uh, and then <laughs> when that scene happens, all of a sudden Alex is no longer powerful suddenly suddenly he's more powerful even though he's in a wheelchair you're like oh shit this is not gonna be good for alex you're like who's Dude, really that, the one who's that spaghetti here? eating scene was fucking uncomfortable right so because now, now the 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 guy in the wheelchair is in he's in control and you mm-hmm. you know you got like his his bodyguard caretaker guy like on flanking alex on the other side and there's nothing alex can do like alex ain't, ain't taking that guy mm-mm, mm-mm. no <laughs> no yeah he's just slopping up just just here just you know are you guys gonna have some no oh man that's such an awesome scene because it's so unexpected so he's just eating that spaghetti and you're just focused on it you know you're like focused on the old man glaring at him you're like is he gonna fucking try to strangle him or something is he right, gonna hit him so over the tense. head with the bottle you don't know and mm-hmm. and Alex is even is uncomfortable. He's just like, should I keep eating? I don't know what I should do. Because you know he the the writer is like, hey, call some friends over who are going to help you. And he's just like, oh, okay, well, you know, um, I, I actually I should be going. You know, I don't I don't want. I feel like I overstayed my welcome. He's like, no, 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 just just me and my friends. It's fine. They'll help you. He's like, okay. So he just keeps eating, and then they come over and they're like asking him questions, and then just mid sentence, he just drops into his spaghetti. <laughs> just face plants he wakes up they clean him up actually and he wakes up in in some sort of weird bedroom with beethoven playing in the background is it is it implied that it's still in the same house or is it like in different location same house it's like it's in a a different room that he's locked more of the house okay yeah um they they want to test the effects they hear that he is sensitive to beethoven so they just get these big ass speakers lay him down facing up at the ceiling directly under the bedroom and they're just blasting beethoven right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and alex is just he's like melting from it he's just like ah make it stop yeah can't handle himself and Mm -hmm. uh, attempts suicide and fails would be better than that yeah (laughs) and And fails in his attempt in a big ass body cast when you thought it couldn't get worse man that was that was a shitty 24 hours i'll tell you and this is the point when he's healed in quotes right so how does how does he he get become healed that's why i didn't quite understand yeah i i didn't either i'm assuming that if there was a serum they injected him with to make him this way then maybe there was another serum an antidote that they were injecting him with while he was you know asleep in his you know his comatose or whatever hmm I don't know how else they did it, but they certainly don't show how it doesn't, at least it doesn't. No, they they didn't show it, but I I wonder, at first I thought it was the impact hitting the ground that kind of may have reversed the effects. But then he talks about 
having weird dreams about people working in his head. Like he was like, yeah, they, they opened my head up and they're working in my brain. Yeah. Cause he certainly wasn't lobotomized. He was still who he was. So it's certainly, I don't know if they, I don't know how they, they went in there and maybe it could have been just, maybe he just thought that they went into his head, but maybe it was still some sort of therapy where in his sleep induced state, they were giving him, showing him videos or playing audio for him at the very least. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know how they would how they would get those images out of his head or how they would reverse again any of that shit that they did to mm. him. And he's basically just like how he was at the beginning of the film. Like oh, he went, right. He he reverted completely back. Like there was no, he didn't learn a damn thing, you know. He and that's what you're saying was thing. they they did stuff to him, but he didn't do any internal work. Right, right. It was all done to him. It was slapdash, and uh, and right. So there he is, arm in arm with this. Uh, the the director of interiors and you know trying to make nice and so it's like well we don't give a shit like we did our part and now everyone feels bad for you and uh so in order for us to right the wrong we need you to just be taking you know taking photos with us uh and show that you are rehabilitated or whatever <laughs> or that you that you've been re rehabilitated <laughs> oh and then and then just that thought of him having that romp with the, that naked woman in his head as it's happening. Mm-hmm. I just thought, wow, wow. He's like, still a piece of shit. He's still a piece of shit. Like he's like, what was this all for? Really? Mm-hmm. We, we, we learned how not to rehabilitate somebody for sure. I know and, exactly. And you're, and you're just putting him right back into society. What's going to happen? This, that's why I like the ending. That's why I was mentioning to you before, although there's another chapter you were mentioning that, uh, mm-hmm in the book i uh, in the british version of the book the original version i think having leaving it open like that is uh, just more interesting you know he was he was used he was paraded in front of an audience because they wanted to show off like what what work they've done to him and now they're going to parade him in front of an audience again to show that he's back to normal and you know he's he's not completely fucked up anymore and and he you know he's he's basically going to be used as a, a tool Right. for this corrupt minister of interiors mm-hmm. to basically regain a positive public image again. Right. I mean, it's a win-win for the director because he now gets to be the good guy, even though mm-hmm. he did this torture to this, this young man. That ending is probably why a lot of people, I don't know, maybe they, they may not have liked a clockwork orange is because it doesn't necessarily end on a happy note. But, you know, it's still open-ended, so it could, you know, there's a number of, of different endings that could happen. Sure, he's got a lot of life to live still. He's, like, only a teenager, I think. Like, he mm-hmm. was in high school or whatever. He was skipping skipping class. So, yeah, it's like life could teach him. He doesn't yeah. seem very open to it right now, but there's a lot he still doesn't know. Life hasn't happened. Yeah. actually crushed him yet. <laughs> it's fucking... Uh disturbing movie though but i thought it was an excellent movie yeah same disturbing but excellent for sure and i'm i'm actually glad that you you went back you gave it a second chance and you were able to enjoy it the second time around yeah me too me too this was the first kubrick film that i've really ever i think sat through and paid attention to oh no i take that back i've actually paid attention to the shining Mm. but um i did watch that i've seen that before it's good so I wanted to say a little something about Malcolm McDowell in this movie. So mm. in researching the movie, I actually found out that Malcolm, he hated doing those aversion therapy scenes. 
Um, because I mean, who the hell would enjoy putting on those lid locks, right? Yeah. Lid. But um, so he couldn't do it just on on his own accord. So what they had to do was they actually had to hire some medical professionals to apply anesthetic to his eyes. And then that way he can feel them applying. Cause if you see like, he's not really twitching a whole lot when they're applying those like lid locks, he's just yeah, kind of looking yeah. down. And um, I was like, man, that's, he's a fucking dedicated actor. If he can sit through that, you know, but I didn't yeah. realize he actually had like a numbing agent on his eyes. Wow. And um, he mentioned in, in uh, past interviews that those lid locks would slip off his eyelids sometimes and it would actually scratch his eye. And he he would know he wouldn't know that until after he was done filming, and then the anesthetic would wear off, and he just like couldn't really function oh. for like a few hours because his eyes were were burning, scratched. Oh yeah. shit! So he hated doing those scenes, and Kubrick was really adamant. He's just like, no, you're doing a good job, you know. Just uh, we 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 need to do a hundred more takes. <laughs> <gasps> So the the missing chapter, or the the final or the, the complete story, I should say, to mm-hmm. a Clockwork Orange, goes like this. So in the final chapter, Alex actually leaves the hospital after recovering from his failed suicide, and he actually forms a new band of droogs, different crew. Now that his his friends are police officers or whatever, mm-hmm. and so he he tries to pick up where he left off. However, he finds himself unsatisfied by the violent activities he once found entertaining. And at some point, he comes across a former OG Droog, Peter, in a cafe. And Alex is actually fascinated by his, his seemingly nonviolent life that he now leads. And the story comes to a close with Alex suggesting that he too might try to pursue a similar peaceful lifestyle. So that was the redemptive final chapter that Mm. uh, the author was kind of peeved that Kubrick never added into the film. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Kubrick felt that it was unnecessary and it actually felt disconnected from the rest of the story. So he just decided that he wanted to continue on with the American version of the novel. Yeah, it does feel disconnected a a little bit. I would say, I mean, it's, it's interesting to think that that he does go down that path, but it's more fun to wonder. It's more fun to to be left to wonder because it's a little bit more definitive. I mean, it's still yeah. kind of open ended as well, but I think it it leaves on a more of a, a happy note. And maybe Kubrick felt that he didn't necessarily want a happy ending. You know, he wanted one that was that was kind of messed up. I mean, the movie itself was kind of messed up. So I thought, you know, I, I could appreciate the final chapter. I can appreciate the fact that, you know, it's it was the author's original vision for the story that he created. So I think it's just a more interesting film anyway, this way. Yeah, let the let the audience decide. Well, that is a wrap, folks. If you made it to the end of this podcast, then you just won yourself a free session of aversion therapy. Any final thoughts or closing comments? Uh, um, I definitely want to watch more Kubrick. Where, where do you think, um, before seeing any other Kubrick film, where where do you think uh, this one fits in for you? Like, uh, how would you rank it? It's a it's tough. Because The Shining holds a special place for me. And having only seen that, 
I would say I would say The Shining still still your favorite, still my favorite, and then and then A Clockwork Orange, and then uh, Full Metal Jacket. Interesting. Those being the okay. only three that I've I've really mostly seen the Full Metal Jacket, but until yeah. we see uh, Eyes Wide Shut, Eyes Wide Shut, I still haven't seen Two Thousand One. I, I we're going to have to hit that one up because I think a lot of people think of 2001 as his swan song. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel his like that one, was... that one definitely appealed to a lot more people. I feel like maybe Clockwork Orange, it was a little too dark or too grounded for most audiences. But um, 2001, it's it's just that, that sci-fi, you know, and it's, I think at the time that movie came out, I mean, there's just a lot of sci-fi going on, and I think mm. it did really well, honestly. So I, I'd mm. be curious to see what you think about it. Yeah, yeah, I've 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 heard some really good things. I've heard some people say it's too long, but I'm like, well, I I, I don't. That's your judgment of it. I don't. Mm. I have to see it for myself again. I just have to sure. to see it for myself. With that said, A Clockwork Orange is still my favorite Kubrick film, having nice. seen 2001. So I would actually. I would actually probably rank it uh, for me because uh, I haven't seen Full Metal Jacket or any other Kubrick film besides the those three. So okay. I would probably rank A Clockwork Orange number one, two thousand one, then The Shining. So that's my oh. ranking so far. Mm-hmm. So Shining for you is at the bottom of the list. Noted. How dare you? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I, I highly doubt that's his worst movie. I just haven't seen a lot of his movies. I mean, you can't go wrong with with any of his movies. So even to rank them is still it's they're amazing. Well, this has been Affliction Oz Podcast Episode Six: A Clockwork Orange. Thanks again for joining us, and we will see you, Drukes, next time. Bye.